Hey there, you're listening to Past to Present, a social studies podcast by educators for you. We'll take a look at the middle school social studies standards taught in the state of Texas. Together, let's clarify some key concepts in history and think of ways to help students relate history to their everyday life. Hey, Lindsay, how are you? Good. How are you, Kevin? Good. How are things going? You know, it's going. We're we're trucking along in the first semester here. So how is it uh, getting back in the classroom? It's been really good. It's really good. It's a lot of work Yeah. in a different way. I mean, I was an instructional coach last year, and um, that was fun and, and challenging in a different way. But being in the classroom, the grading, the grading. The grading? The grading. What about the bathroom? Yeah, that retraining yourself. <laughs> it's not easy. And if for some reason we have non-teachers listening to that, they probably won't understand no, that. No, they won't. But uh, that's a big deal. I saw somebody's post on Twitter the other day, and they were like talking about the rights of students and how students should get to go to the bathroom whenever they want and saying, like, in a real job, you'll never have to be limited the number of times you go to the bathroom. And I thought to myself, well, not true, because in teaching – you're limited. Well, in a lot of jobs, but yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those little things that they don't ever tell you in uh, yeah in college for sure. So today we are covering the Articles of Confederation, and uh, I will be honest, this is not a unit that I was the most uh, thorough in in teaching. Yeah, it's really difficult to teach. Yeah, and I think I get too excited because creating the Constitution and the Constitution are that that is that was my passion. I love those units. Yeah, and I agree. That's I mean the government government is one of my favorite things, and I I think when you're in college and you got you're getting your history degree and all of that, they skip over the Articles of Confederation a lot. I think because um, the Constitution is so fun and so interesting, but. If we can lay the groundwork here for kids to really mm-hmm. understand, I think they'll have a much deeper knowledge of the Constitution and the real structure of our government when we get there. Well, do you think it's the wrap-up of all the stuff we've done before with the you know, the Age of Exploration and the 13 Colonies and the Road to Revolution? Is, is like the Artist Confederation, is that kind of the, all right, we're moving into a different uh realm if you would yeah i think for me it's wrapping up the american revolution but it's also the transition that the people at that time were having because they went from an extremely tyrannical well a tyrannical government Mm -hmm. that was very controlling in in a sense right Mm -hmm. and i don't want to be dramatic but (laughs) yes you do and then they go from that to the extreme left, if you will, of almost no structure at all, almost no national power, this league of friendships, if you will. Mm-hmm. And they it's an epic failure. And so I think it's it's a very important part of our history because if we hadn't had that failure, we wouldn't understand the value of the national government and of the structure that we that the founding fathers, I keep saying we like I helped, but that the founding fathers created and how unique and how important all of those pieces are. So I think, I, th- I don't think you can skip it. No, I never skipped it. I just don't It's know. just hard to teach though. Like yeah. it's very difficult. And a lot of these concepts, like especially if your students have no prior knowledge, 
it's difficult to shove it into four days. Well, I think they're also te- uh, teachers are more concerned with the cre- the, the Constitution unit and the, mm-hmm. the uh, you know the Constitutional Convention. I think that is where they probably spend more of their time because, frankly, it's probably going to be seen. Well, it's more relevant, and it's probably going to be on the the star test more likely than True. the Articles of Confederation. True. So let's dig in. So I start with, um, well, this is just what I would do. I don't know. But mm-hmm. my th- my thought process on it is we're going to start by setting the stage. We've come to the conclusion of the American Revolution, and we've taught that unit according to the teaks and the sequencing and all of that. And now we need to take a step back after the Treaty of Paris has been signed, and we need to go back to the year 1776 okay. to the Second Continental Congress. And we already talked about Richard Henry Lee and his Lee Resolution where he proposes that resolved these colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, right? Okay. Which inspires the Declaration of Independence. We talk about that at the Second Continental Congress. But there's another resolution that Lee proposes at the Second Continental Congress that gets looked over. And that is this quote right here. Resolved that a committee be appointed to prepare and digest the form of confederation to be entered into between these colonies. So the big thing here is, what is a confederation? Yes. That's the question. So you want to make sure that kids understand that. Right. Um, I have the definition, just in case you're Mm -hmm. a first-time teacher and you have no clue what a confederation is. It's an organization that is made up of a number of groups or states united in an allegiance or a league. So today, that would be kind of like what? I don't know. The European Union, maybe? Um, you probably, if I think of it like the uh, professional sports leagues. Okay. Like uh, the Ooh, NFL. The kids would love that. Like the NFL, those teams are, they, they work together to push the brand of the NFL, yeah. but they all want to win the Super Bowl themselves, and they will do whatever they can to. Yeah. Crush the other one. Exactly. That's a great scenario. I will tell you, I just came up with that. Did on the you fly. on the spot? On Man, the spot. Some of your best thinking is done there. I guess so, right? <laughs> uh, so th- I think that would be an interesting way to see if the kids could understand that. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important too that the kids understand that the this the second they thought of independence, they began thinking about their government and what that's going to look like. Yeah, and so that's hard to do. To now you're kind of all right, we've, we've covered the revolution, but we need to cover a part of the revolution that we didn't cover. Yeah. And and I, I, there's not a whole lot of timeline that goes mm-hmm, on with this unit mm-hmm. as far as the articles part. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we get caught up in doing anything like that, mm-hmm. but just kind of say, hey, this July July 5th, 1776, they're getting ready to right. come up with it. Definitely. Government. So after you talk about this resolution and um, you you go back to, okay, now we're at the end of the revolution. And I want you to think, what do the kids, or to the the kids you want to say, what do the founding fathers not want their government to do? Mm -hmm. And just have them come up with a list. See if they can create some things that the government should not be allowed to do according to the founding fathers. And you could even tie that into the grievances, right? Absolutely. And so... You know, I'm, I'm big on, like, having the kids kind of take their experiences and try to make that connection with them. And so 
Um, I, I don't think kids are any different than we were, but, you know, you ask them, have you ever said the phrase, when I'm a parent, mm-hmm. and then go, all right, so what did you say you wouldn't do? And mm-hmm. they'll write it down. They go, all right, what led you to doing that? Mm, I like that. So I think it gets them to see that, all right, so now you're the government. Well, well I'm the government. What would you do differently? I won't or I will. And then go. Why would the why would the the Americans say this? Can't call them colonists anymore. But why would the Americans say this? Why would they choose? And I, I like the idea of tying in those grievances as well as, as quick as possible. Yeah, and some of the things that they might come up with is a fear of tyranny mm-hmm. and the fact that these are the problems, right? That that linger from the road to revolution and those issues that are lingering now in our country after the revolution or even really during. Okay. Also, the issue of taxation. I had a kid bring this up in our debate podcast that we made, but he said that there that he anticipates that the American government's going to have an issue with taxing the people because we have 20 years almost of this culture of you tax me mm-hmm. and I revolt. And not everybody in America had a firm grasp on the fact that every time you taxed, it wasn't just okay to revolt. You had to have reason and the government needs to tax in order to be successful. Yeah, I think getting them to see that will really, again, it brings in prior knowledge. It brings in reinforcement of things. And then again, you're going into the creating the Constitution. And so, you know, hey, we've said when I'm a parent, I won't do this. For the articles, you can do the same thing with the Constitution. Right. Well, because of our previous experiences with his articles, um, it's the same thing. Right. One thing we got to make sure is that kids understand that the Articles of Confederation weren't a mistake per se. Like they were created purposefully this right. way, um, and so uh, that's one thing I would hope that teachers would make sure they have their kids understand is this was done on purpose mm-hmm. to give the, the states the power. It wasn't just an accident. We we didn't think of this through. They may not have thought of the repercussions it would cause, but well, they didn't know. Yeah, they. I mean, there was no precedent for this type of government because up until this point all the states just kind of did their own thing and they reported to the king right Right. so they had no way of knowing that it was going to be such a failure until they did it when it's all maybe that's a good question you know was was the 13 colonies were they a confederation as well before i don't know yeah that is a good that is a good thought so one thing that you kind of want to get the kids to understand is how does it connect to the american revolution um, because that's one of the successes of the Articles of Confederation is it, the government does keep the colonies together during and after the revolution, which is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Um, and so after the First Continental Congress and the Second Continental Congress meet, though that group of men, for the most part, a few delegates change in and out. But um, for the most part, that group is now going to be what they call the Confederation Congress. And they are going to meet regularly, yearly. Um, there's rules for that. You can find it in the Articles of Confederation as to how many delegates each state got, but it was an equal number. And every state had one vote in the Confederation Congress. What did the Confederation Congress do? That's a great question. Borrowed money. Yeah, they borrowed money that they didn't have. Ignored George Washington's letters. They did. They had no money. Um, Basically, they were there to just kind of oversee the American Revolution and make sure that everything was going as accordingly as they, as it could, I guess. Well, and as I understand it, the states were the ones that were primarily borrowing money. And I know John Adams was across uh, the Atlantic in um, 
I believe it was either I think it was the Netherlands or Belgium trying to secure loans from mm-hmm. the Dutch. They were the the banking powerhouse of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Franklin was in France trying to get gain them not only as a financial ally but also a military ally. Right. So um, I, so I think that's where um, maybe that is their biggest. Well, in the states before the before the constitutional or well, let me get this straight before the Second Continental Congress created a continental army, mm-hmm. the states had their own militias. Right. So the states were funding. The states have all the money. They have their money. Right. So they were funding their own militias. So when the national government, the Articles of Confederation and the Congress said, okay, we're going to start a national military, they basically sent out to all the states saying, hey, you need to send us money to pay for this military. That was not a power that the states had given them. They just asserted that power. Right. Um, and so already we see the national government already asserting power that had not been given to them by the states. Was it necessary or not? I mean, that's a great question. The states pretty much don't give them hardly any money. um, And they end up writing these paper IOUs that are worth nothing, which is going to lead to debt, right? So we come out of the American Revolution and already we're in debt. Thank goodness for Alexander Hamilton. I'll just say that. Yes, very true. And um, so anyway, you just want to make sure that you talk to the kids or that you show the kids how the Articles of Confederation were successful during the American Revolution. Winning the war. I mean, yeah, that's their big one. they did. And they successfully negotiated a peace treaty with Great Britain. I mean, there were some positives. So when you move on, you're looking at um, kind of the structure of the Articles of Confederation. Um, how do you how do you go about, how, how much time do you spend on that? And where do you come up with lessons for that? So I spend about a day at the very beginning of this unit talking about the structure of the Articles of Confederation. I don't think you can skip out on this. Okay. That's the whole point, is to talk about the structure. So I start by going back to the, we have the We the People books in KDISD. Almost every campus should have them. And um, I go back to that, and we have the kids do like a little scavenger hunt in the book. And basically they look at the structure of the states. Okay. Because that's what the national government is going to do when they start talking about forming a government is they're going to look at all the different structures of the states. And in every state, the strongest branch is by far the legislative branch. Which is kind of our our next step in our development of representative government, right? Correct. Okay. Um, and so they, I need the kids to understand that all the states had three branches of government, but the national is only going to end up having one. And that's inspired mostly by their fear, right? Okay. Just keep going. Yeah, sorry about the bell. Um, anyway, that's inspired by their fear. So. Well, their fear of what? Of the executive. Okay. So the fear of having something similar to King George III um, or the prime minister, something along those lines, or fearful yeah. of that executive branch. Well, and you kind of talked about this, but there's the Magna Carta, right? right. The king ignored that for the most part in the colonist's point of view. Maybe mm-hmm. not in the king's point of view, but from the colonist's point of view, he ignored that. And so they're afraid of even even giving the an executive branch restrictions. They're still afraid that those restrictions can be totally ignored. Well, and they were excuse me, they were even fearful of the Confederation Congress ignoring their rights. 
And so that's why they put so much power in the state's hands, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, because already the Confederation Congress is, right? They never gave the Confederation Congress the right to tax them and or to collect taxes for the army, and yet they're sending out to the states asking to. for money. Yeah. So um, the key takeaway is that you really want the kids then to understand for the Articles of Confederation and how they structure it is that ultimately it's a list of rules. If you read the Articles of Confederation, each section is basically a rule. Okay. That's how I read it. And it's going to form what they call a League of Friendship. Mm -hmm. It's actually in the Articles of Confederation as a League of Friendship. Things like trade Mm -hmm. in between states, how that's going to be regulated. Um, Technically, it's supposed to be regulated by the national government. How disputes are going to be settled. Right. It's supposed to be the national government that decides that. Um, how treaties are going to be formed. That It basically says states cannot form treaties or alliances with other nations. Only the, the Confederation Congress can do that. So it really is just a list of rules. And but, we'll kind of talk more about those too. But nobody follows them? Nobody follows them. Okay. Because why would you when there's no executive or no judicial? Like how are you going to put in there that the national government is going to judge issues between states and not have a judicial branch? It just doesn't make sense. Okay. So um, the other thing you want kids to understand is the idea of federalism. And this one's really difficult. It's a very abstract concept for kids to understand. Um, But in in the Articles of Confederation, almost all of the power is with the states. Right. That's how we teach it. That's accurate. Yeah. Even, Even though, like, even more than was intended. Right is in with the states. So you want to talk to kids about how, maybe you can even do a visual, show a states with strong emoji arms and the national government with weak emoji arms. Whatever you want to do, but just let them know that the states were going to have the most power because the colonists believed that government should be done at the local level. And that was always their argument to the king, right? Right. And so, well, then that makes sense that so that that leads to the states not trusting each other, right? And yeah. not working together, right? Well, because it's every man for himself, kind of like what you said with the NFL. Right. And so then it causes... Because a league of friendship is all good and dandy as long as it's benefiting my, me and my state. Right. But the second it's not benefiting my state, I'm out. So I came across this lesson the other day, um, and it's called Teaching the Articles of Confederation Through Blocks. And you have different groups with different sizes and so you could have teams you know one group that has seven people and one group that has five and three and one and i think the the one is delaware and they only get three blocks and what the idea is and and we're we're kind of ironing this out but delaware gets three blocks and they're supposed to build the the strongest castle they can with those blocks and the other teams get more blocks and they can build theirs and what you allow them to do, and you give the, each group money, and you give them the chance to buy and whatnot, and anybody in the group can propose a change in the rule. So Delaware can stand up and go, hey, let's sp- share the blocks evenly. But all it takes is one state going, no. No, because it has to have un- unanimous. Okay? So you do that over and That's over cool. again. And then you try to get Delaware to go out and buy. And if other people try to sell, then you as a teacher slide in and you go, I'll sell it for less. I'll sell it for less. And eventually you get it to where you undercut everything and you have this jealousy going on, this arguing going on. Um, 
and England's instigating all this. Mm-hmm. And it gives them a visual. And in Delaware, it always helps when you've got that kid, you know, that we kind of talked about with the, uh, the King's M&Ms, but that kid who can kind of instigate mm-hmm. playing Delaware mm-hmm. um, because you kind of want them in on the the game. Yeah. But it's it's good on showing them that distrust and that uh, the fractured nature. And then you obviously have a reflection piece at the end where they're discussing what they've noticed. And So you're going to send that to me once you have the details ironed out? As soon as we get it ironed out. Yeah. I've, I've got a that couple sounds groups awesome. um, working on that, but I think it's going to be a pretty cool idea. Yeah. I love it. All right. I think the main number one thing that the kids have to take away from the Articles of Confederation structure is that there's only one branch of government. Right. And that's the legislative. And even still to this day, technically supposed to be, the legislative is supposed to be the strongest branch. That's why it's listed first. This is my opinion. All right. But that's why it's listed first in the Constitution. And um, I make the comparison. This is a history alive comparison, but to a stool with one leg. Right. It's gonna t- it's gonna top over. It does. It's not top. Is that a word? I don't know. Topple over. It's gonna topple over. It's yeah. gonna fall. Yeah. Because it's not. There's no base. Secure. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you get to the Constitution, then you compare that to a three leg stool. That's a tripod. Right? A tripod. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Thanks. So we've kind of alluded to this about the nation struggling with the, the Articles of Confederation, uh, kind of with that block activity mm-hmm. showing that struggle. Um, but we have to make sure that the kids understand that there was a reason why we we did away with the Articles and went to the, the Constitution. So um, what are some of the key weaknesses you would want kids to understand about the Articles of Confederation? So the first thing I want them to understand is that the national government had no power to to collect taxes. Right. The Congress did release a taxation document, but it was more like a request, not a requirement. Um, They also have no power to raise a national army. Okay. So when issues are going on in states and the state militia can't put that problem down, the national government is helpless. They can do nothing. Because that was a big deal. Keeping a standing army was a fear of a lot of countries. And it was kind of a new idea, um, if you will, in some of the European countries. But um, the United States were not comfortable with that idea. No, I mean, why would they be? They had a four-to-one ratio of Bostonians, four Bostonians to one uh, redcoat at the time of the American Revolution in Mm. Boston. Okay. It was pretty intense. They, the amount of quartering. Plus, if they're able to hold a rev, uh, an army, they're going to be able to quarter soldiers or force you to quarter soldiers. So they were fearful that that would kind of be a trickle effect. Okay. Um, but they're going to quickly realize that maybe they don't need to have a standing army, but they do need to at least be able to raise an army. Well, that's almost going to be like a U.S. policy for up until World War One of right. keeping a very small small army. army. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the big one is they just really don't have any power to enforce the laws, right? Yeah. There's no executive branch. There's nobody to say this is what we're going to do and this is how this is going to happen. Um, the states had that power. Right. And that's really the issue. It's not that they can't. They have no power to tax. They do have the power to tax, technically. They just, they just can't collect They it. just can't force you to. They just can't force you to do it. So they really don't actually have the power to tax. They have the power to ask for a tax. Um, so... 
the other things that they're going to have issues enforcing is the interstate commerce mm-hmm. and making sure that there's no tariffs on interstate commerce, actually putting forward a protective tariff on all goods coming into the country mm-hmm. um, and coining money. They're not going to be able to enforce that. Technically, the national government, according to the AOC, is supposed to be able to coin money. Okay. But they can't enforce it and states, it it's worthless, right? It's basically yeah. better as fire, fuel for a fire than it is as actual money. So um, the colonies are, or the the states now, are now going to start producing their own money. So maybe if you've done the, in the last, one of the last episodes we talked about, like the, the two shilling piece from uh, Massachusetts mm-hmm. and using that as a, you could refer back to that yeah. if you wanted to and show that, hey, this is Massachusetts shilling. It's not a U.S. shilling. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, when they start having issues between the states, they're unable to solve those problems because they don't have a judicial branch. So the and that all really kind of leads to Shay's rebellion, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the economics of New England had been devastated. I mean, you think about it; they had um, struggled with the intolerable acts, shutting down a Boston uh, harbor for a long time. Then you have with the war going on, it, shipping and trading are very difficult, especially when those English merchants are doing most of their shipping and trading with England at the time, and especially when some of those those goods are being taken and used for the the war. Right. And so New England is is probably the hardest hit. Yeah. New, York, New, New England and New York, I believe, mm-hmm. were the hardest hit uh, areas economically of the war. They didn't benefit. And so, um, you know, when the war is over with, you get this this huge mess of problems, and the soldiers were never paid in cash. Right. They were written IOUs. And it was land. Yeah. But the problem is, is they couldn't, afford the land. Correct. So they sometimes sold, you know, their allotment for pennies on the dollar. Mm -hmm. And so they're kind of saying, well, why did we fight this war if we have these, all this stuff being taken from us? We we should be, the land should be theirs. And I think the final straw, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the tax collectors come around to continue collecting, the state tax collectors come around to continue collecting state taxes when these troops, these veterans, have not been paid Mm -hmm. by the national government for their service. Right. And and so there's a disconnect there between the states and the national government. Well, it's kind of what the ideals of what the, the, the American Revolution was supposed to be and kind of hey, we gotta collect money, we gotta make sure we take care of this. Right. And so, and I think this also plays back to not having a standing army. It's very much, um, you know, if, if the Roman history of, you know, if, the, if the, the last part of the Roman Empire, if the legions got mad, they just got a new emperor. Yeah. They would just kill the old one. Mm-mm. And so then they got paid off. And so I think, you know, these are a bunch of soldiers who don't have much on much time on their hands. I mean, don't have a lot to do. They don't have any work to do. And they know how to organize. And So Daniel Shays mm-hmm. does what? So he and his troops uh, basically take over Western. So he's a former. He's a former uh, American. Uh, former. He's a veteran. Soldier. Yeah. And um, he and his his buddies, kind of a gang, yeah, but his, his army take over Western Massachusetts, uh, shut down the courthouses. The courthouses. Mm-hmm. They shut down the tax houses, or they run them off, and are on their way to taking an arsenal, like getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of issues. I mean, this is kind of the the culmination because even uh, Washington, when he was still in charge of the Continental Army towards the end of the war, I mean, there was talk of 
marching on Philadelphia yeah, and taking over. Yeah, infighting. Yeah. And, and, he referred to that a lot. And he's, he, you know, the story goes that he, you know, he goes into the room and he asks him if he can put on his, his glasses because he can't see as well anymore, kind of showing his age. And he asked them not to, um, not to do that. Yeah. And I, I don't know how truthful that is mm-hmm. or is it kind of a cherry tree kind of thing, but uh, they back off. And Shay's Rebellion is kind of the Next less organized yeah. version of that. If it, so, and, and that's what's going to lead everybody to recognize there are some issues with the Articles of Confederation. Do we amend the Articles of Confederation or do we scrap the Articles of Confederation? So they're going to call for a convention, which is going to turn into... The Constitutional Convention. Boom. They, they try it twice. Perfect. So before we get too far into this, um, do you have any strategies you would use with teaching the Articles? So I have done a different, few different things in the past, but this year I'm kind of changing it up because... My test data shows that the kids did not do too well on this unit, so I'm trying to do some reflection and redoing. Um, But what I'm going to do is I'm going to – I have several days allotted, so this is really the last day where the kids are going to get a graphic organizer, and it's already – part of it is pre-filled out, and it's the problem and the strength and the weakness. The strength and the weaknesses of the Articles of Confederation. I'm thinking maybe seven. So it would be two columns? Well, it's really good, just going to be one column. Okay. And the kids have to identify whether that is a strength or a weakness as they go throughout this. So basically, they're going to do stations. Okay. And when they get to each station, I'm going to have the primary source from the, the, the section from the Articles of Confederation typed up so that they can read it. And then they're going to have to say, okay, what one of the strengths or weaknesses is this talking about? Is it a strength or a weakness? And then why? Okay. What do you think about that? I like the idea of them moving around and the idea that, I mean, they're, they're, they're working through that themselves and making value judgments. Not necessarily value judgments, but they're making a, a, yeah. a, a case for why it would be a strength or a weakness. I might add a visual to it, too, like a picture, because I feel like that would be really helpful for kids. Absolutely. But I, I wanted them to read the actual text of the Articles of Confederation. So how many stations do you think you would have... Total. I don't know, probably seven. Seven or eight, yeah. That's what I was so thinking. the power to tax, the power to raise an army, the power to enforce laws like coining money and stuff like that, um, the power to settle disputes. But as they go, and then I'll have strengths in there as well, and as they go, they'll have to identify whether it's a strength or weakness. So do you think you you could have the, the quote, the primary source quote, and then maybe have like reality, if you will, not mm-hmm. necessarily like... So they do have the power to pass tax laws and then go, but they didn't have the, the ability to collect it. And so then you ask the kids, is this a strength or a weakness? Right. And let them determine, yeah, in, in theory it was a strength, yeah. but it was not something they ever actually did. Yeah. And I, like I said, I don't know how it's going to go because I'm doing it in a couple of weeks with my kids, but it's it's better than reading a textbook. I mean, they have yeah. to do something to try and start figuring this stuff out. And the more that they can look at primary resources, the better. Right. It kind of goes into those skills continuum, which mm-hmm. is really one of the hardest things. Um, that's kind of what we want our kids to be able to do is analyze information, not necessarily just remember dates and facts. For sure. So the Articles of Confederation, although it did have several weaknesses, it had some great strengths. Well, let me rephrase. It had, success, it had successes, right? a great strength, a great success. I guess that? you're right. It's not a strength. It's a success. There is one law. Well, first of all, it keeps the country together. Right. During the American Revolution. We already said that. 
That's a great thing. Second of all, it teaches us a lesson, right? right. About how, how strong do we need the federal government to be and right. what happens when it's too weak. So that's good. When it gives you a chance to, what are pros and cons? Yeah. Which we always like. Yep. And the last and most important success is that the Confederation Congress passes one very important law that is still standing today called the Northwest Ordinance. So after the American Revolution, we signed the Treaty of Paris in 1783. And this gives... a through this treaty, America acquires the Northwest Territory. And, well, all the way to the Mississippi River, right? Perfect. Yep. Um, the kids might, may have known that as the Ohio River Valley from the French and Indian War, so if that's what you called it, you may want to make the connection there. Okay. And the government leaders have a very important decision to make about this territory. What do they do with it? Right, because a lot of those now states have these old claims that – you know, I think the the original Virginia colony extended all the way to yeah. the Pacific Ocean. Those states did. They claimed those lands. Right. And the small They didn't know how far the Pacific Ocean was. Well, and and it was I mean, we're talking, you know, 1607 and yeah. whatnot. So it's it's good in theory, but of course they're going to want to hang on to that. Mm-hmm. But the other states are like I don't think so. Exactly. And one of the big questions that they have to answer is do we want to keep this land as a territory or aka a colony and just to be clear they never use the term colony and i feel like that's on purpose right they always call it a territory well i think what you get into is you can kind of lead into that with kids like so if people move into that into that land can we tax them yeah and if we can tax them then what does that mean we have to do Right. And so see if you can lead the kids to, you know, making these claims, you know, taxation with with representation and Magna Carta and things. And that's the issue is like the 13 original colonies are consider themselves to be part of America. And this territory, the question that they have to answer is, is it ever going to be part of America? Are we going to keep it in as a colony for the rest of the of time? So you could you could do a perspective piece on this, right? You could have, you know, one table being people who want to move west and mm-hmm. people who, you know, some table being a, a small state that doesn't have any of that land and large states that do have that land and let them figure out what what is fair, what is yeah. the right way to do this, along with kind of our themes of the American Revolution and the cause of the American Revolution. So this law is passed by the Continental Congress in 1787 and an ordinance is a law. So if the kids don't know that word, you're going to want to hit that word with them. Right. Um. And it says several things. So first of all, any newly newly acquired land in the future is considered a territory, not a colony. Right. Um, these territories must have self-government at the local level. Okay. And they, the government must guarantee the following fundamental rights. Freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of assembly, no slavery, and they must reserve a few areas of land for public schooling. And I will tell you, the last two kind of get me uh, get me thinking future. You know, first of all, that reserving land for public schools, I think that was Jefferson. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of his big pushes or his, his group of, uh, of it was. political advisors. They really want public school. But that no slavery thing I really like because I teach the Northwest Ordinance in this unit, but I also teach it as a cause of the Civil War because it is Congress that says no slavery will be allowed in the Northwest Territory. And who votes on that? The Southern states love that idea. Mm-hmm. 
um, because they didn't want any competition with mm-hmm. other slave states. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I felt like it helped my kids with context when we were talking about Manifest Destiny, expansion of slavery, Dred Scott, like Congress has been has already done this almost immediately after the country was founded. And so... Yeah, but we're going to talk about something else, too, with the Articles of Confederation. That gets me riled up. So let's come back to that. (laughs) Um, So once a state had a population of at least 60,000 people, it could apply for statehood. This is a big deal. Right. Because once it became a state, it had all equal rights to the original states, and it had equal representation in government and just as much voting power as the remainder of the states. This was a revolutionary idea at this time. Countries didn't do this. Well, I mean, the 13 colonies did not have the same rights as the counties or whatnot in right. Virginia. In, I mean, uh, in England. England. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the the idea, the current theory here is mercantilism. You are, you are as wealthy as you have colonies. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very important for the kids to understand that the, the founding fathers knew that if they did this, if they created a colony, they would very likely have another revolution on their hands and history could repeat itself because um, of all the issues that they had with the king. Right. And so they're, they have the foresight to know, let's just go ahead and add them as states and give them equal representation. And that's going to make our country stronger in the long run. See, I never approached it from that standpoint. I know. But I really like that, that interesting? Like, it, it makes perfect sense, and I had just kind of, like I said, I kind of... I don't know where I heard it from, but I've been researching for this podcast and making it and everything. Yeah. I think it was maybe Revolutions, that podcast, listening to it, that he mentioned something like that, and I was like, oh my gosh. It makes perfect I sense. I had never thought about it that way. I like that. It's interesting, right? Well, and, and you know, there's the steps to becoming a statehood. Having 60,000 people, then you can apply for, you know, you can... Uh, create a, a state constitution yep. and apply yep. to Congress. There's those steps. And that is the teak. Like they have to understand the the process, which that seems a little. I always just tell them 60,000 people, you apply to become a state and, you know, Congress votes. And you have to guarantee those other things. Yeah. But I think um, the real big thing is this gives an orderly procedure on how to add future states. Correct. Now it is not followed perfectly. Mm-mm as Manifest Destiny kicks into place. Another thing that I like about this is that it puts the power to become part of the United States on the territory. Right. Which is still relevant today, right? Like if Puerto Rico votes every year whether or not to become a state in the United States and they always vote it down. The, the people don't want to become, they like to be a territory. And so um, I think that that's a really interesting idea is that they're actually giving the power to the territory to make that decision for themselves. When it's kind of your, you know, we've already done a little bit of Manifest Destiny with the Proclamation of 1763. Um, this is kind of that next step to kind of lead into it. And right. I, I like this. Um, it goes back to self-government yeah. too, right? If you don't want to be part of a union, yeah, then you shouldn't be because then you're just going to be miserable and you could eventually lead to retaliation. So it's kind of that idea as well. That's fantastic. The legacy of the Articles is kind of where we're headed. It's kind of what leads us into the, the Constitutional Convention, right? Yes, and we want to make sure that we're not just talking about how does it impact the creation of the Constitution, but also how does it still impact us today? Okay. So I kind of came up with what I think 
part of the legacy of Articles of Confederation is. So all of this going forward is opinion. So do your own research and make your own decisions on it. This is my opinion. Agree, disagree. Don't worry. I'll tell you if I, I'm sure if you I, will. If I think you're I'm wrong. sure you will. <laughs> so one thing that we learn from the time period that we have the Articles of Confederation as our government is that states are going to act in self-interest. Right. And I think that's a great introduction because that's what the whole Jackson unit basically. All of Jackson, all of the Civil War, all of the Civil Rights Movement. Let's be real for a second. The Civil Rights Movement as well as the Civil War is all about states' rights and states acting in self-interest. And it's also about what we talked about with the very first podcast of the minority, the majority overpowering the minority. Right. taking away the fundamental basic rights of people which are guaranteed by the Declaration of Independence at this point of the Articles of Confederation. And so that's, yeah, that's what you mean by states' rights. It's the state right to, that's really what they want to do. To make their own decision, right? Well, their own decision to take away people's freedom, right? Yeah. Correct. So some examples from the Articles of Confederation is them, the states refusing to pay taxes, Mm -hmm. even though they all willingly entered into this quote unquote league of friendships. Right. Once it's not convenient for them, they're like, ah, nah, we're not going to do that part. We'll, well we do all, all this, but not that. We all have a friend that does that, right? Yes. They don't show up when you need to move. Oh. And then they want to borrow your truck. What is the saying? If you don't have a friend that's like that, you're the friend. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're if you're thinking to yourself right now, like, I don't have a friend. I don't have a friend like that. Uh, that's probably it's you. you. I like yes. that. <laughs> um, and then also creating protective tariffs. A lot of the states start adding tariffs to their goods, their exports, and their imports. They start coining their own money. They're having disputes. It, it shows us that if we don't have a stronger, stronger federal government, the states are going to act in self-interest. That still happens today. And again, that was purposeful. Yeah. It was not by accident that that happened. I think, I mean, there's obviously unforeseen consequences. Well, the problem is, is that the founding fathers, a lot of them at the state level, especially like the Virginians and all that, they believe that your rights are most protected at the state level. James Madison puts forth a phenomenal argument in the Federalist Papers saying that the smaller your community is, the more, the fewer factions it has. And there, therefore, the larger factions are going to be able to control and manipulate mm-hmm. the smaller factions. So his argument is it federalism in a strong national government, having having a huge government with lots of factions in it is going to actually be more powerful than having those rights protected at the state level. So he's he's saying that a, a, a republic can work. Yes. Okay. He's saying that you need a stronger central government than what the Articles of Confederation provided. Right. Because if you don't, then the small group of the majority at the state level are going to overpower and take away the rights of the the smaller factions okay so you defeat factionalism with factions more factions um so again because of this we realize that a stronger national government is going to be needed in order for us to have a federalist um, a federalist system that actually works okay um and they're also going to focus in the constitution less on rules and more on structures to make sure that the rules will be able to be enforced and be followed. So check, well. checks and balances, yes. separation of powers. Separation of powers. They realize that if we're going to need a stronger federal government, we need to focus less on this is what you can do and this is what you can't do, and more on how are things going to actually flow and work. 
You're successfully. Need multiple branches to correct be in conflict and work together. Correct. Okay. And um, what else? Oh, the legislation, legislature, right? Yes. I mean, it's going to be important on how we create that, and one state, one vote doesn't it's work very work. well. No, and um, unanimous is a joke. Correct. You're never going to get all the states to agree. Never. Because of self-interest. Correct. Which hopefully your kids have seen if that block activity works the way it's supposed to. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes self-interest is a good thing. It can move you forward in Correct. in society and in world. Like, you know, Adam Smith argued that self-interest is what motivates the economy. But there's still, if you're going to enter into this quote-unquote, like I said, league of friendships, there's only so far that self-interest can take you. Well, it, it goes back to the, the analogy of the, the sports leagues. You know, I mean, Major League Baseball, those teams are fighting each other to win, but they also recognize that together they are stronger and they can sell things better mm-hmm. and they can make, make more, more money, money. Mm-hmm. as opposed to just being in constant conflict with each Man, other. You're killing it with that. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm really it's impressed genius. with that one. It's genius. And I'm, it's too good for me to come up on my own, so I must have heard it from somebody else. Yes. No. Oh, thanks. No, I appreciate no. that. No, <laughs> you, you did. You made it on your own. Um, but overall, Articles of Confederation. You do a much better job of it than I ever did. Listen, I've done a lot of research. I read the whole Articles of Confederation (laughs) in detail. Obviously not in detail enough because I've missed the passage that you were talking about. But it was a great read. A great read? Yes. you got to read it. (laughs) I'm thinking about making my pre-AP kids read it. I'm trying to be their favorite teacher, and I think that that's what's going to seal the deal. Uh, clearly, I think that, <laughs> I, I think you've you've read the room really well there, and I think you've nailed. You know it. what? They love it. They love being challenged, and they love rising to the occasion. Well, I think uh, I think we've covered this in depth. In depth. Um, our next episode is going to be over the Const- creating the Constitution. I think so. All right, I think we'll that's try where to get we're that going. Out. And uh, obviously, give us any feedback if you have any ideas, or if we. Uh, might be incorrect sometimes in our our facts yeah correct us challenge us us. that's the fun part of history yeah tweet at us Uh, we know we've made some minor you know with Franklin and when he was lambasted by Parliament and all that but uh, give us some feedback definitely thanks for listening thanks guys Hey there, thanks for listening to our podcast. Join in the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag pasttopresentpod or tweet us at at pasttopresentpod. That's past, the number two, present, P-O-D. If you have a minute, please consider helping other educators find our show by sharing our podcast on Twitter or giving us review on iTunes or Podbean. Special thanks to all those who helped develop the content for today's episode. Audio mixing for this episode done by Lindsay Stevens and music credit to bensound.com. All thoughts and ideas expressed in today's episode are that of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs of KDISD.